Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Khan, and I talk about how you can start, run, and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called Your Initial Pricing Will Never Be Right, But Try Anyway. Let's get started. When you're just starting out, finding the right pricing model for your young business seems very hard and almost entirely arbitrary. That's because at such an early stage of your business, it's impossible to find the correct price for several reasons. At the beginning of your business, revenue serves one purpose before any other validation. A paying customer is validating multiple things at the same time. They are saying that your product is good enough to solve their problem, and they're saying that it provides more value than it costs, and they are saying that their problem is painful enough to actually pay for a solution. With that one payment, product, value, and problem are validated all in one. That's why the price is only secondary. As long as it's not higher than the value of the product, it'll be sufficient to allow for business validation. It might not be the perfect price, and you might leave money on the table, but at that stage, it only matters to show that the business actually works. Early pricing validates your business and initial product. Later pricing optimizes overall revenue. There are three rules to early pricing. It's never perfect, it can be changed, and it should be aspirational. Particularly when you're building a complicated product, you will have to start with a slimmed down version of your final vision. It will only contain the basic features, the functionality that is needed to show what problem the product solves at its core, but your price should reflect the value of your full vision. That is because you are selling to a particular kind of customer, the early adopter. And now let's talk about the psychology of pricing for early adopters. Regular customers look at a product, calculate the immediate value they would receive, compare that to the price, and purchase if the benefit significantly outweighs the cost. If a product promises to be better in the future, they dismiss this as a purchase risk rate. Majority customers buy in the here and now, they are customers anchored in the present. Early adopters, or even the even more radical peers, the innovators, they don't think like that. They make purchasing decisions on what things might turn out to become. They will buy an electric car even though the charging infrastructure may not yet be there for it. They just trust that the network effect will take care of that if people, if enough people get involved. These customers buy for the future. They are anchored in the hope and trust that the things they purchase will turn out to be great. And the final state, that particular state, is what they see when they look at your first quirky version of the product. They see for they see it for what it might become, not for what it lacks. And they will pay for what they believe it'll be. Of course, there's a lot of nuanced thinking going into such a purchasing decision, but you can be sure that the innovators and early adopters in your market will pay a premium for a product that breaks new ground. And here's the catch. You will have to live up to the expectations you set with your price. And you'll have to do that rather quickly. The early customers might become your biggest supporters and marketing channels if you do it right. But if you fail to fulfill your promise, they will soon pack up their things and move to another promising product. So get used to thinking that your price is a very fluid number with a lot of flexibility. It is not set in stone. What matters is the value you provide to your customers. So 
now we talk about value metrics and how to measure the value that you provide. Your price should reflect what you think the value of using the product is for your customers. This is tricky as software products are continually evolving and the value they generate evolves with the product. A good strategy to measure the value you provide to your customers is to determine the central value metric and measuring that. So what is a value metric? It's the most relevant metric that goes up when your customer's business is doing well. For an image hosting service, it's the number of images uploaded. For a music streaming business, it's the number of times their songs were streamed. For a team building service, it's the number of team building exercises successfully finished on it. If your customers are barbers, it's the number of beards they can shave in a day. There always is a value metric. And the point is, if that number goes up, they make more money. And if that number goes up, you should make more money too. If you use a tiered pricing, splitting the tiers among certain economically sensible limits of that value metric will make a big difference in your revenue. Let's talk about price acceptance, purchasing power and jobs to be done. Be aware that the acceptance of your price levels also depends on the purchasing power of your audience. Selling to large enterprise companies will allow you to charge much more than when you're selling to online teachers who are working two jobs like we did with Feedback Panda. What you need to find out is how much it costs them right now to solve this problem. Do they have a solution already? What are they paying for it? If they don't, how much time does it take them to do it themselves? How much would that be worth? One approach that always helps with determining this number is the jobs to be done framework. It states that every product or service replaces something else, but not necessarily the same kind of thing. Imagine that a software product that provides like AI-generated technical drawings. It might not just replace another software, but make a whole position. The company is superfluous, that of a technical draftsman. With one purchase, the company might save 100000 or more in a year. Now imagine a CRM system that has specific features to that automate the work that was usually done by unpaid interns and a, a half-automated task that is run once a month. How much does that save the company? Probably less. For Feedback Panda, we knew that the purchasing power of our customers was reasonably low. They didn't pay for any solution yet, so they didn't even have a budget for a tool like ours. The resource teachers invested was their free time, which they valued surprisingly little. So we chose to price our product at a point that reflected what online teachers would make by teaching just one more hour per month. That turned out to be a very acceptable term for teachers, and it held true when we increased our prices by 50% one year into the business. It was just a small additional cost for them compared to the actual amount of work they would have to put in. And you have to find out the way the problem is solved right now and figure out what resources are invested in it. That will heavily determine if your price is accepted or not. And there is a problem when you underprice. Significantly underpricing your product will create a few problems down the road, um, while it will likely get you a lot of customers initially, but many of them will be very price sensitive. In general, bottom of the barrel customers are hard to deal with, as they will want to squeeze the most value out of your customer support and your product for the lowest price. Once you raise prices later, even a little, those customers might be very vocal about the disappointment. While there are always ways to deal with that, like time-limited subscription grandfathering, you'll be limiting yourself from the beginning and you will surround yourself with customers you do not want. Price always communicates value. 
you're pricing a product surprisingly low, you're saying that it's worth very little. That will scare away customers who are looking for high quality products and you want those customers because they're invested in making the product better and allowing it to thrive. At Freak Panda, we had a $5 monthly plan in the beginning. We scrapped that pretty quickly. First, because we understood that people were willing to pay more, but also because the customers that were on the plan were pretty hard to deal with. There was a lot of customer service uh, stuff coming in, a lot of conversations where they took a lot of our time and attention, often complained about features not working the way they wanted, and it felt like it was completely out of proportion to the amount of money they were paying. Essentially, over a year, we would get $60 from them, just in revenue, and if you price your time adequately high as an entrepreneur, just spending half an hour to an hour talking to them on intercom or a chat-based system completely exceeds that amount of money. So even after one conversation with a customer like this, their yearly budget of time they should be able to get from you is ex exhausted. And they just continued writing in every single day. So we completely removed it here and that made a lot of, lot of difference for us. There's also a problem with overpricing. Overpricing a product, on the other hand, is not as bad as underpricing it. You're communicating that you think your product is worth it. And you indicate that it's a professional tool, something for experts, for the people who know what they're doing. And that has a lot of value. Do not underestimate the signaling value of a price particularly in crowded markets. The moment you're substantially cheaper than other products, customers who care about quality will think you are worse. There has to be a reason for why the price is lower. The moment you're more expensive, those customers might start paying attention and check out your product because they expect it to be better. With a high-priced product, you will only need a fraction of the number of customers to become sustainable, and you can always lower your prices if the customers disagree with your value proposition. Don't be afraid to charge more in the beginning. You may think that your product isn't fully finished yet, and that's no reason to not charge the full value that people are ready to pay. For your customers, the result of using your product is what they pay for, not what you think the quality of it should be eventually. Let's talk about one more thing to try. If you don't have any customers yet, just be bold with your price. Zero customers paying $20 might as well be zero customers paying $50. See if you can find the early adopters that are looking for a quality product in the future by showing them your sincere attempt to build one through a higher price. So find a good initial price for your product. If you offer subscriptions, make sure you provide a yearly subscription option at a slightly reduced price from the beginning. Those subscriptions are an excellent signal for how much people think your product will be part of their lives. It's a sign of commitment. And the moment somebody commits to a year, you know that you're solving a critical problem well enough. Don't forget that ultimately, initial pricing is all about validating your business product, vision, and what your market is willing to pay at the same time. Start with a reasonable price that is not too high to be insulting and not too low to suggest low quality and a price that also shows your ambition to build a world-class product to solve the critical problem of your audience. I think it's, it's very important to not spend too much time on pricing, but spend enough time on pricing throughout the time um, or the journey of your business. 
Because in the beginning, everything is a, a, essentially an experiment. Once you're in, um, getting out of the preparation phase, once you have a product that you can actually put into a market and you start trying to survive, you get into the survival stage, your initial price will have some impact on the business, but not as much as you think. Because the actual act of shouting the value of your product from the rooftops is much more important than the conversion rate from a sign up to subscribe ratio doesn't matter if it's 10 percent or 12 or 15 it may matter later on just for churn and retention reasons but you have to get there first right so your product needs to be in the minds of people as an actual solution to the problem and it's much more important to actually communicate that your product solves a problem a critical problem for a well-defined audience than that it's 12 bucks a month or 15 bucks a month or that you have like five tiers for 10 50 100 150 200 or whatever that kind of stuff is very flexible and pick a price you're happy with pick a price that communicates the value that you think your product will eventually elicit and stick with it for a bit and see what happens you can always be flexible you can always change it at some point it's also important to kind of just communicate um, through your price in the beginning what your vision is. And that's what I mean with aspirational pricing. We And, and that's also why we get got rid of the $5 a month plan because our aspiration was not to build a cheap product. I think it was a learning that we had because in the beginning we thought, mm, well, what is a feed panda really just... Uh, um, a glorified templating system. Well, yes, but a glorified templating system that solves a problem. And just because it is something that we've seen somewhere else as a cheap solution does not make it a cheap solution that people wouldn't be paying money for. So we really understood at some point that there's a willingness pull from the market, if you want to call it that, to pay for a product like this. So we might just as well price it reasonably for our own understanding of what we wanted to make with the product and not succumb to the idea of having to price it super, super low. And I know that with 10 bucks a month, we are on the low end of the SaaS pricing pyramid, if you would call it, because um, I guess in B2B, any kind of double-digit pricing is almost hilarious because there's so much more budget uh, when it comes to selling to enterprise or bigger companies. We were in a B2BC market where our customers were both businesses but also individuals. So we were essentially targeting a freelancer kind of market. And it is more usual in these kind of markets to have a low to mid sized um, double digit monthly pricing I've seen this with invoicing solutions that charge around 30 bucks a month I've seen this with <laughs> solutions to host podcasts solutions to send out emails where the initial tiers for people who work on it alone uh, solo entrepreneurs and just small businesses are somewhere between 15 and 40 dollars a month depending on the actual impact of the tool uh, on the business that uses it so we were on the lower end of that, knowing 
what our audience was willing to pay. And we also used it as an entry strategy into a market that had no budgets. It's very important, I think, to understand that if there is no budget in the market you're entering, people will not be ready to pay for it. This is um, it's one of those things that you see a lot in apps. People were so used to install installing apps for free that once people actually put a price tag to them, they were completely unwilling to do that. And then I guess... Uh, these kind of in-app purchases and pay to win when you look at on online games and stuff that that came up as a result of this like, like hooking people getting them to install the application and then charging them later because there was just no interest in paying up front for something that people were used to getting for free and that in certain industries is definitely the case. That's mostly where there are no competitors. There are no solutions. People are essentially solving all their problems with Excel and Word and note, uh, just taking notes on actually pieces of paper and just writing it in, into like a notepad app or something like this, where there's no infrastructure for people to understand that there could be value in paying somebody for providing a solution. You have to be careful and you have to be cautious. We did that. We raised our prices from 10 bucks a month to 15 bucks a month later, which immediately impacted our bottom line, obviously, in a positive way because it's a 50% price increase. And had we not sold the business, we would have probably done the exact same thing again um, a year or a year and a half into the future of the business because we knew the value for product definitely increased. The acceptance of the price in the community increased where before it was only the early adopters that would pay for it. And there were a lot of people saying, I'm not going to pay for feedback. I'm not going to pay for doing something that I don't even get paid for, uh, paid for by my uh, employer. But with a couple months time, people understood, okay, this is actually saving me a lot of time. This is often enabling me as a teacher to teach more and make more money. They understood that it was a tool that facilitated financial independence for them and it was worth 10 bucks a month and it was still worth 15 bucks a month and it would likely have been worth like 20 or 25 or 30 for the teachers that taught more than a couple hours a day. Um, I believe that it's just a matter of time that price acceptance um, extends from the early adopters into the majority of your customers. So initial pricing always complicated but just don't really overthink it pick a price that is adequately reflecting your ambition that works with the existing industry and just be prepared to change it at some some point if you see that nothing is happening that nobody even signs up you might be overpricing it or you might be completely underpricing it talk to people talk to people who actually encountered your business, encountered your solution, your product, and asked them what they thought about it and what the initial reaction was. And you will find out which of those it would be, and then you can correct. Or just trust that you just haven't found the right people yet and haven't pointed the right people to your product. That might also always be a thing. So initial pricing, think about it a bit, find a price, and then actually build a business around it. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at, at Avid Khan, A-V-I-D-K-E-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me in the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating in the review on Apple Podcasts and wherever you subscribe to it. It'll help other founders and founders to be find this podcast and learn more about 
starting, running, and selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.